Hello, ladies, gentlemen, and otherworldly beating, being, be, beatings, beings. You're listening to the Queer History Channel. I'm your host, Blythe Smith. And today we will be talking about the Gay Liberation Front. As usual, all my sources will be listed in the description. So the Gay Liberation Front, or the GLF for short, uh, was founded pretty almost exactly one month after the Stonewall Riots, which if you want more information on what the Stonewall Riots are, you can listen to the last episode. And the whole goal of it was to fight for essentially gay liberation, to fight for the right to be gay without being arrested, without persecution, and all of that fun stuff. And it was a huge step forward, but there's also a lot of misconceptions around what they did and who they were. Um, One major thing is that there is no actual leadership. The first Gay Liberation Front founded was uh, 32 homosexual men and women, as quoted by them, that came together and decided to find this organization. They didn't want to have exact leadership because they wanted for it to be a community effort. This sadly worked against them um, as more and more people kind of argued about what the goals were, what they wanted done, and that kind of thing. But there were quite a few things accomplished, and one of the biggest things accomplished was visibility. in which they fought for visibility of gay people, for people to realize there are more gay people, more trans people than you thought. Um, This opened up a world for discussion in which there really hadn't been one. This forced people to acknowledge it after Stonewall had happened, and they used Stonewall as their beginning narrative. Of course, as I mentioned in the previous episode, uh, they were not actually the Gay Liberation Front was actually not the group that created the first Pride or organized it. It was Craig Rodwell, which he really had nothing to do with the Gay Liberation Front. He had simply asked them to be there, um, and so the Gay Liberation Front. One of the some of the biggest things they're known for are a lot of the publications that they did. There was the um, Gay Liberation Front newspaper, as well as a periodical called Come Out that was released by the New York, uh, uh, like, chapter of it, I guess. And a lot of it covered issues around gay rights, trans rights, um, different, like, racial rights. There was even an issue that specifically covered rights around, uh, what was going on in Cuba and Haiti at the time and the intersectionality of all it and just generally shared the experiences of the gay community, which was fantastic because people got to see who else was around them and share that, those experiences with other people. Another thing that they did was they would have meetups of like, of 10 to 15 people at and like you'd rotate through people's houses and they'd all sit down and kind of discuss their lives their experiences issues going on in the world and this allowed for community to be a thing 
Um, and that was a huge thing. And so with the Gay Liberation Front, of course, in their manifesto, it was all about their own rights and their own bodies and having the liberty to and the right to do whatever they wanted with their own bodies. Um, and they were definitely very they anti-capitalist. Uh, they were against racism. Um, they were against traditional gender roles, but they were also against the nuclear family, which there's not much explanation for it, but it's probably linked to the idea of gender roles because the nuclear family is essentially the husband that goes to work, the wife that stays home and takes care of the kids, and the kids just being generally well-behaved and good children, which really holds a lot about gender roles, and also because that kind of thing doesn't necessarily apply to gay couples always because it's two men and one woman someone and like two men and two women um like it's someone has to stay home and take care of the kids someone has to work hell most of them don't even want children a lot of them just want to be with their couple with their significant other they just want to be a couple um and that honestly wasn't probably the large hugest biggest thing on their mind they just wanted to be treated like humans um but as i mentioned earlier they didn't last very long they the organization disbanded around 71 or 72 and this is largely in part because of that unorganized uh creation there was no primary leader and there was lots of disagreements within the organization and individual groups were organizing events and periodicals and the like within groups. There were actually quite a few instances of people leaving and creating their own group that had an actual sense of leadership. One, uh, for example, is the Gay Activist Alliance. This was founded because it felt that the creator, the founders of this organization felt that the Gay Liberation Front was much too radical in some of their ideas, and they didn't necessarily agree with it, and they also did not like how there wasn't any kind of organization and how it seemed like very few things were being done. And there's also um, a group called Radical Lesbians, all one word, and this was founded primarily, one, because the founders felt that the Gay Liberation Front had mostly been focusing on the advancement of gay men and weren't doing anything to help lesbians. Um, and there was also this issue of the feminist movement. Very few people in the feminist movement were open to lesbians. Uh, one thing that is uh, Betty Friedan is known for quoting is that lesbians are a lev lavender menace in which... There was, I, there are actually cases of them openly using this and creating, or and there was, I'm pretty sure there was an organization in which it was actually called the Lavender Menace, and they used this to their advantage. They'd plaster it all over T-shirts and everything, um, and this kind of became a signifier. But because of that, uh, they weren't, per, they weren't. It was almost they weren't permitted in the feminist movement, so they created their own movement. And their own organization in order to look at the rights that women can that the rights women need 
in the context of being a lesbian and the social implications of that. And one thing that was discussed at one point uh, in kind of talking about the history of radical lesbians was the idea of woman-identified woman. And if I understand what was written correctly, it was essentially like we are women and we identify as women, but we are more we are more of a woman than any other woman because we have nothing to do with men. If I'm understanding this correctly, but that's essentially kind of the point that was getting that was being brought across. And then there's also, of course, uh, transvestite. Uh, um, oh gosh, the acronym is STAR. Street transvestite action revolutionaries. And it was, of course, Marsha P. Johnson and Sylvia Rivera, and that they were all, all of these trans women that were like, Gay Liberation Front, what are you doing? You're not doing anything for us. And so one of the things that you can see is that the Gay Liberation Front it didn't cause it, but it definitely contributed to the separatism within the community. It didn't, in a way, it didn't create subgroups and subcultures within the within the community culture. It just split it, period. And in ways, we're still recovering from that, and we're still experiencing that. Point, case in point, trans-exclusionary radical feminism. That is... That is one of the things that was influenced by the separation because people weren't working together to individually listen to all of the issues of people that may not experience the same thing. Because, again, being lesbian and a woman or a woman of color is as an intersectional reaction compared to just being a woman. Um... And there's all of those issues that go on that weren't being discussed. And that's something, and that's the reason why this kind of history is important to look at, because you can see this is kind of where certain things come from, or the influence of certain things, in which maybe we need to fix this. Like, we need, we need to have the gay community and gay rights not just be a white gay man the like we can't just have a, a white gay man be the poster child for the entire community and we need to acknowledge the contributions that trans women of color um and just people of color in general made to the community uh as well as we need to look at the rights that the different social aspects of being a lesbian we need to look at the fact that by men and women there have actually been studies done that have found that by men and women, it's assumed that their automatic default is to like men, um, which is incredibly harmful because that is not the case. And other research has definitely found that this is has caused harm to people who are bi, and more often than not, people who are bi, when they come out, they experience higher levels of depression than when they're in the closet. And it's really sad. So, like, this is the kind of stuff we need to look at and be like, 
this is the reason why I, this is one of the reasons why it's like this. How do we fix this? Which is a reason why you learn about history, even if it seems useless. Um, so yeah, that was the Gay Liberation Front and a little bit of a uh, philosophical and uh, call for change. So <laughs> I hope you enjoyed this episode. This is the Queer History Channel. I'm your host, Blight Smith. And that's all for this semester.